Hey everyone, welcome to episode number what should be 74 if we don't screw this up and release them out of order. Uh, we've got Sam Spinelli returning. He's a uh, doctor of physiotherapy that we've had on before and a friend of ours. And joining him, uh, our first time appearing, is my friend Darren Bishop, who's a local Edmonton physiotherapist. So we'll talk a little bit about kind of what those guys can do for you. Um, what good physiotherapy actually is versus some of the warning signs of um, maybe professionals that might not be the best places to provide business to you. Uh, we also get into a discussion about personal trainers who get more knowledge about things like corrective exercise and what their scope of practice is and, and when they can wander into dangerous territory. Um, Sam also did a presentation and we talk about uh, not getting into total inactivity when dealing with injuries, but also avoiding massive overload and kind of where the threshold of what you should do is. And we talk about pain science and some industry contention over uh, in camps uh, who think pain science is very real or think it's total bullshit. So stay tuned. It's a great discussion. Shut up and sit down. Hi, everyone. Today we've got, uh, I'm bringing together two physiotherapists that I trust the most uh, to talk about fitness, injuries, pain, anything that relates to that how these all intersect and, and affect the everyday the lives of everyday people and the fitness professionals who work around these issues. So uh, Sam Spinelli, he's coming back. Last time we chatted with him, he was hiding out in San Diego. Now he's in Northern California. Uh, and we've got my good friend Darren Bishop. He's actually a local guy here in Edmonton. And he's pretty much my go-to for uh, my clients and friends, anyone who's dealing with any issue that goes outside my scope and ability to deal with pain and injury. I break him and he fixes them is kind of what I like to tell people, uh, but not really. So guys, welcome. It's great to have you both on. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. <clears throat> so I guess we could actually jump right into it. Um, I wanted to start our conversation with what physiotherapy actually is, because not everybody necessarily knows, and what a good physiotherapist should look like versus... Some of the warning signs, some of the bad stuff, um, as we see with the, how it is both in your industry, like we see in the fitness industry, you get good trainers, bad trainers, fuck good doctors, bad doctors. So yeah, I'll let you guys each start with, hey Sam, go for it. Um, so a bit of a challenging question because the first thing people need to know is that physical therapy or physiotherapy is a profession. It's not like an intervention or a treatment specifically. You hear that a lot of time where like, whether it be a personal trainer or someone's like, yeah, I'm going to do PT on you. It's like, that's not a thing. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people view it as like traditional view is usually that physical therapy, physiotherapy is uh, the modality. So ultrasound, electrical Just stimulation. It's hot facts and tens all day. Exactly. It's classic PT, man. Make all the money. <laughs> Then, uh, then you get into some more manual therapy beliefs, and then occasionally you hear about exercise. But at the end of the day, at least in my viewpoint, physical therapy, physiotherapy, whatever you want to call it, it's really about facilitating the goals of the person, helping them get there, finding ways to help them reach what they want, which for a lot of people is pain, but usually it's something deeper where pain is limiting them from getting to what they want to do. It's generally my stance. It's not only that too, but uh, obviously getting people towards their goals, um, getting them out of pain is usually a main goal for people. But we, we delve into you know injury prevention, um, health promotion, uh, performance enhancement as well. So it's not it's not like we're just getting people back from an injury state to baseline. We're actually improving them to be better at uh, at their sport uh, in life and uh, 
the performance as well. And the other thing that people don't know is we're not we're not just in uh, musculoskeletal physical therapy. We we do neurology, we do cardiorespiratory, we do integumentary, working with you know skin wound care, um, work with geriatrics, pediatrics, kind of all over the board. So a general uh, physical therapist uh, has knowledge in all of these areas. And I mean, Sam and I both specifically share a passion for the musculoskeletal and the neuromusculoskeletal aspect of it. So um, the main goal, though, is, is basically for us to, to create an environment for the individual to basically heal themselves. So the body's a, a pretty robust structure, and our goal isn't to, to fix people, but to educate uh, and empower the individual to, to help them heal themselves. Well, that's, that's something we kind of talked about with, with Brett, but I think that it, it plays here is that idea of even that conversation, the communication of like what you do and using words like fixing or broken and that just what you explained there, like that we're robust. <clears throat> I don't think that message gets across a lot. Like, do you guys agree? Like we're a lot Absolutely. more robust than, than what people think. And humans are badass. Like it's unbelievable <laughs> when you start to like really dig into the details of humans and uh, it's just not appreciated and people easily fall into a broken mindset. And then if they fall into the hands of a healthcare practitioner that will enable that, it's a dangerous cycle. But if you find the right person to help empower you, <coughs> you can do some amazing things. It's amazing what we do is like viable living, you know, uh, entities too. Um, you look at a, a spine when it's, you know, uh, from a cadaver you can collapse a spine with 20 pounds of force. You look at uh, a human spine, human spines can actually withstand about 2,000 pounds of force uh, in a living structure, right? So, you know, a lot of, you know, the, the studies and stuff that, we, that we've seen that makes us look fragile are not in living entities, and we, we, it's really hard to study a living entity, so that's why, that's why initially I think we've, we've come up with some of these explanations that saying that, you know, we need to fix people and, you know, saying that people... Um, you know, have a, have a spine that's out or a hip that's out or whatever the other bullshit is. Um, but now we're starting to learn in our profession that, uh, that it's not the case. We're actually a little more robust than we think. My favorite one, rip, someone's, some bullshit about someone's ribs are out. Like, like Oh yeah. yeah I, I, one of your, one of your, uh, yeah. one of your, um, one of my girls clients actually that you sent over to me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I told one, her one physical therapist told her that her, her rib was out and tried to do an adjustment didn't help her. The second therapist she, she saw told her that two ribs were out. Did the same crap and tried to adjust her and didn't help her. I told her her ribs weren't out. I got her to do some basic, I did some basic manual therapy for about five minutes. Got her to do some exercise and load herself and educated her what was going on. And she didn't have pain the next day. Yeah, like I told her straight up, is like, like, if someone tells you ribs are out, this bullshit. And sure enough, you go there, she comes back and texts me. He's like, yeah, he said my ribs aren't out. She was so excited. Well, let's like tackle that a little what? bit. Just because just because we, we, we're on the subject and I bet people are going to hear this and be like, man, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, all, like, I had a bunch of people tell me my ribs out. Can you kind of explain kind of why that, even like the hip out thing, like kind of the basics of like maybe why that might not be what's going on? I guess to have you tackle ever... it. So I actually work at a, like I have a bunch of jobs, one of which is at a hospital in an acute care setting. And so I'm pretty fortunate that I get to go into the emergency room. I get to go spend some time with surgeons. And one of the things that I get to do is go talk to the trauma surgeons. It's really quite comical when you start to talk to them about these like narratives that are told. Because you'll meet these guys that have like, for instance, dislocated shoulders are a pretty common one that comes in. And it is not something that just like pops in and out. They yank on this thing so aggressively that you can tear someone's labrum in half to pop it back into place, let alone getting it out. And then 
you, when you see a rib out of place, that person isn't moving. They are probably <laughs> passed out because it's such a severe, painful experience. Having someone's pelvis come literally out of place is something that happens in such a traumatic injury of a car crash that the person can't walk anymore. Like it's not just a subtle deviation that can happen, especially a subtle deviation that we can detect with our fingers like a lot of PTs claim. Like the average human thumb can detect something like two millimeters, but the average pelvis has less than 0.02 millimeters of ability to move. So you can't even detect that shit. Like it doesn't happen. So we've just made up this thing because someone thought that they could feel it. They thought they fixed it in some way. They fell into like a problem of having this thing called confirmation bias where they just did something. Someone felt better. Boom. I'm a genius. I'm the greatest practitioner that ever lived. And now I'm going to sell it for millions of dollars. Like it's a huge problem in healthcare. They're a guru. <laughs> uh, the other thing that happens, I mean, the, the patient does the patient does feel the hypermobility. They do feel like the joint is off. They do feel like it is out. Um, what happens is this cortical reorganization. So we have a, a sensory representation of each of the joints and the tissues in our body, uh, in our cortex. And what happens with injury or with pain is you can think of the, the representation as being a map, and the map gets smudged. Right, so you might feel like it's uh, you might feel like it's a bit wonky or off, but that's just your perception of the the pain response in your body. And I guess this goes to back to the language because I mean I jokingly said right as I opened it I said that I joke that I break them and you fix them and we actually did this podcast with Brett Contreras and he went he passionately ranted about he went how off frustrated he is. When he hears fitness professionals or anyone use language that describes people as broken or any of these sort of things. And I agree with him entirely. Like, I don't like using that language. And clearly, you guys are on the same page. So, it sounds like if we use language that makes them, like, that says that they're broken, there's something wrong. Or or what the fuck is the word I'm looking for? A story? Uh, I, I, it does matter. Dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. There we go. Dysfunctional. Weak. Then it, Weak. yeah, plants it in their minds, and then it manifests as how they feel. That makes yep. sense, right? Well, well, if you came, if you came to see me, um, and you had low back pain, how are you going to respond if I tell you that you've blown your disc out, and if you bend forward, the fluid is going to go posterolaterally and blow further out of your disc, and and I tell you this is a diagnosis, and I want you to do whatever <laughs> rehab to help it. If I tell you that versus I say. Yeah, you hurt your back bending forward, so now the uh, the posterior elements of your spine are a little bit sensitive to bending forward. We're gonna not bend forward through the spine for a little bit. I'll teach you how to hip hinge. I'll get uh, I'll get you to do certain strategies to to offload the sensitivity for a little bit. Once the sensitivity goes down, we can go back into loading that tissue, and you'll be fine. It's not really we know most low back pain isn't a serious uh, pathological injury. Um, it's just a level of sensitivity. So if I explain it to you the second way, you'll probably respond more positively and <laughs> be less afraid to do your rehab as opposed to the first one. It probably sounds like because uh, Manny, one of my clients, old clients, yeah. a buddy of mine, I've said to Darren, uh, he listens to these, so he'll probably get excited hearing that. But uh, I mean, he's been really appreciative of your work to help him with an old lower back injury. So is that that sounds like some of the stuff you did with him, right? Exactly. And, it, and it's like for him, he's been, he had uh, you know multi-level uh, disc herniations and I mean, sure, it looks horrible on an image. His function actually wasn't too, too bad. I, I kind of just showed him different ways to, to deadlift, different ways to squat, to, to quit, um, you know, going into loaded flexion, which was his, his pain trigger. And, you know, since I, I did that, really it took about two, three weeks to get him out of pain. And uh, he's, been, he's been great since. He's a monster, too. Like for everybody pictures, this guy's like five foot five, two hundred and twenty pounds. The craziest thing I've ever seen him do is just no belt, no sleeves. Like he took five hundred pounds just for nine and like deep squats, just no big deal. 
I think he could pull, if he can't pull 700, it's damn near close back at his prime. But he doesn't even fuck around with this shit anymore. And now he's just like crazy flipping tires and crawling around the turf with sleds attached to him. It's pretty wild to watch him move. The guy's massive. He's 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 shorter than me, but he's massive. And the guy is quick. Yeah. He is quick and explosive. Like he used to play soccer. And, you know, he he does not look like a soccer player whatsoever. He looks like a power lifter. (laughs) Cool. Uh, Let's actually zero in on some of the stuff that the the bad stuff that we kind of see warning signs or triggers uh, about physiotherapists who may not be as evidence-based as you guys. One of the story I can think of is another client of mine, Cam, he's a fencer. And he had a partially torn quad uh, from, from squatting. So I s- sent him to you because he wanted a second opinion. And his physiotherapist had told him, stop fencing. And Cam loves fencing. It's his life. So he's pretty upset about that. So Darren gives me a call and I've never really heard you mad. He was fucking pissed off with his phone call and he was just spitting fire at whoever the hell had told him to stop fencing. So you had actually worked with him, allowed him to fence. He was actually able to do really well with it. So stuff like that. What, what are some warning signs? I don't know. Uh, fuck it. Sam, you go, man. <laughs> you got a new, this is before, before we answer the question, Sam's wife got him a new mic. Cause he's he's getting pretty big in this fitness industry, so now he's he's legit. So I just want everyone to know, like that's why he sounds really good today. Anyways, bad PTs. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know it, it's hard because we don't um, we don't have like set distinguishing things that we can always say as a dichotomy of this person's bad, this person's good mm-hmm. with straight things. There is a time and a place where we need to restrict activities, but. It's not as often as people think, like in that case, that person probably should continue fencing, but maybe manipulate. Hang on, Sam. We're losing open discussion about it. Can you repeat that, buddy? Can you repeat that? Just that last thing you said? We just lost uh, you for a sec. Generally, we need to manipulate the variables around the activity. So load, volume, et cetera. And that's going to allow us to continue with the activity. One of the things that I most commonly tell people when they're looking for a practitioner is, do they understand that it's more than just tissue? Is there, do they appreciate things like the biopsychosocial aspects where it's not just biology? We have psychological and social factors. So, for instance, in that case of the fencer, if I have him go away from fencing and that's his passion, I'm probably going to cause other issues, like not to say that he will be legitimately depressed, but similar issues like depression that will then cause his pain to persist longer, most likely. And that is a better determinant of actual than tissue damage for persistent pain. And so being open to those other factors, another one is enablement. So do I help the person do what they want to do? Do I find strategies to support them? Um, other things that we can always watch for is, do I want to see you for a long period of time and frequently? It's either that I'm going to see you relatively frequently for a short period of time to get you back going, or I'm going to see you just infrequently as you need. I try not to see people for three sessions, eight times or for eight weeks in a row. Like it's just unrealistic. That's never a situation that I've been in where I felt necessary, but I see it incredibly commonly. I work out of three different clinics right now and it happens a lot more than people think. And when I'm prescribing it, I want to see someone one or two times a week. For like two or three weeks at the most or spaced out even more and then um, usually we're looking for active intervention so like Darren said there's gonna be the occasional time where we're gonna use a manual therapy intervention I'm gonna use occasionally passive modalities in some form 
but the majority of the interventions should be active. That's how people learn. That's how they can make changes in their predictive processing and start to manage their issues themselves. It's not about laying there and having me do stuff for them. So those are some of the main ones. Darren? Yeah, I think you go back to the uh, that story about the fencer. Um, it was actually it was his physician that told him. Oh, sorry. Uh, Just... Yeah, it was his physician that told him to, uh, to stop fencing. And I don't necessarily think it's that the uh, he was a poor physician. You got to think of the time constraints that those guys have, yeah. right? If they're given five minutes to see an individual about an issue like this, it's not enough time to properly assess them. It's not enough time to properly educate them to create a treatment plan. The, it's an easy, easy thing to do to just say, okay, well, stop, stop running if running hurts you, right? Stop playing your sport if that sport hurts you. So I think it's more of a, it's more of a time thing, and it's, um, it's due to the system more so than I think the actual individual. So, I, I mean, I was pissed off about that statement. I wasn't necessarily pissed <laughs> off at the physician himself. Um, it happens in physical therapy, too. You see a lot of these clinics uh, popping up. Um, they basically run people through. They're seeing eight people an hour. They're double booking these people. Um, when you see eight people an hour, you have five, ten minutes to talk to a person. There's no way that you can manage that, that condition properly. Right. So, I mean, at, at our clinic out in the, the Bridge South, we, we at least spend, you know, 30 minutes uh, to an hour individually with the, with the person, um, which is far more than you'll see at most clinics. Um, and even that's not enough sometimes to actually get to the bottom of it and to create, uh, to create a good treatment plan for mm -hmm. someone. So I think, you know, that, that's uh, one of the big things. It's the time constraint. And then if you think with the time constraint, if you have five, ten minutes with an individual, what tools are you going to use? It's a very powerful tool to manipulate someone's spine because people feel great right afterwards. It's a very powerful tool to use a dry needle and just stab around the area because it creates a huge neurological response that makes the patient think that you've done something to them to fix them. Right? So I think uh, if you're running into a clinic and they spend two minutes talking to you, they don't assess, they don't reassess after their intervention, they don't create a plan of action for you, and they don't create a, kind of a, a light at the end of the tunnel type thing for you where you can see where the progression is going. That's when you run into trouble. Um, use of modalities, I don't really have an, an issue with it. It depends what, what modalities you are using. We know things like we don't even have an ultrasound machine at our clinic because it's a crock of shit and it doesn't really do anything. <laughs> um, other things like, I mean, teeth, it's okay to warp someone up before to, to relax them and to kind of calm the, the tissues down. Sure, right? If you're just throwing a hot pack on someone, though, and then poking their trigger point or whatever you want to call it, and then you give them a picture of an exercise, you don't coach the exercise, that's, <laughs> that's a big issue, right? So I think, you know, good rehabilitation is going to be focused primarily on education and on active rehabilitation. And if they're not educating you on why you have the pain or the dysfunction that you have, how they're going to get it better, they're not coaching you through the active treatment, they're completely missing the boat. Well, that's a, that's a big one, is like the exercise fucking printout. It's like mo there's there's like good trainers that can't teach some people how to do movements because they're like literally you need like hours with them, and this sheet with this magical exercise is gonna show them like that's hard, man. I don't know. Well, this is something that I feel very strongly, and I've made this statement. I won't refer people to a physical therapist who doesn't have a strong background in lifting a resistance training. I mean, Sam, anyone wants to go look at your barbell sport lifts, I mean, sweet Jesus, for a guy, as tall, jacked, man. For a guy as tall as you are, you can do some shit that makes no sense. And then Darren, I mean, Darren and I first met in my old gym, and you know, he's a guy who's got a, a lot of Olympic lifting experience, knows the basics of exercise. And you know, even one of my guys, you've been teaching him a little bit of Olympic lifting stuff, uh, because that's not something I have any skill or experience with, So, and he's loving it. 
So what are your thoughts on that about uh, physiotherapists who just don't have any background or much understanding about uh, resistance training? I mean, my personal bias is that I think that all should understand to some relative degree. You don't need to be an Olympic weightlifting specialist by any means. It's not necessary, like unless you're working with Olympic weightlifters. But for the average population, yeah, like it's one of the best interventions we have. You should understand the basics of exercise prescription. You should understand the basics of exercise coaching. It's uh, I don't know what it was like for Darren's education. Mine, I had one class called therapeutic exercise. It was a joke, and then uh, most of my classmates had no idea what was going on anyways. We didn't get taught what a squat was. We didn't get taught what a hinge was, none of these things. Not that they're like the be-all, end-all, but if you can't understand the way to tell someone how to shift their hips, tell them how to put their knee in a different position and for a specific reason, you're going to struggle big time in a lot of ways. Well, you basically That's why up. it is easy yeah. for a lot of people just to give them a handout. Like if I coach someone on doing a glute bridge and they just keep filling in the low back, well, just keep trying it. It's okay. Just like keep going. You'll eventually figure it out with this sheet. Yeah. Do it like this. Like, seal that <laughs> what the f- He's holding the page up in front of him. I, I, so like that's actually happened to me. Like seriously, when I was young, like it was just like, Jesus. I, I, I don't necessarily blame it. Um, it is, it is our education. Yeah. But at the same time, they're trying to create generalists to work both publicly and privately um that being said though i mean in, in the hospital your the squat should be one of the the primary movement foundations that you need to to get out of the bed to to start walking around the the uh the hospital so i mean we were taught uh we were taught how to squat in in our education but their definition of a squat was okay your feet have to be hip width apart and your toes forward and it was just a crock of shit they didn't really teach it properly um they didn't. We didn't really have a therapeutic exercise class. It was kind of uh, jumbled in with our, our MSK classes. And I actually I learned the majority of the stuff through uh, just following people that are you know better than than most of the other professionals in the field. You follow a, a Contreras. You follow um, like guys like Mike Boyle. You follow a Mike Reynolds, Eric Cressy, um, some of these these bigger names. And I think um, learning from those guys honestly probably taught me more about MSK rehab than. Uh, than my university education. And, well, I always say this one, um, you know, Dean Somerset is a better physiotherapist than most of the physiotherapists in the city. And Dean's an exercise physiologist. Yep. And, uh, and Sam, I went to a seminar you guys put on together this past June at, uh, at Evolve Downtown where Dean is. And that was fantastic. So that'll actually lead into, um, you know, a question that I've got later on. But Darren, you're going to say something there. Oh, I, I was going to say, I even had, I had a question. I was going to say like, and maybe there's some physiotherapists looking, but even strength coaches, where's like, where's the best place to kind of get that information after school? Because if, if they're not teaching in the education system, you guys obviously have to learn shit. I know you said follow some of these guys, but like, what were some of the bigger resources outside of going to school to be a physiotherapist? If that makes sense. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, some introductions like um, courses like the SFMA, the FMS, give you an idea with uh, with movement screening, basic movement patterns. Um, I took uh, the Exos PT mentorship course, which is a, a really good course. I mean, Exos are kind of the the frontier leaders in uh, rehab and performance now out of the out of the states, and do a, a lot of work with the, the U.S. military and with um, the NFL guys and uh, and all that. So. I mean, those guys, I, I've learned a lot from, uh, from Mike Reynold, from, uh, from Eric Cressy, uh, taking their whole functional stability uh, course online. Um, 
Gray Cook, uh, a lot of those guys as well. So, um, yeah, Sam? Um, yeah, you know, I wish that there was like a one-centered thing that we could utilize. There's a few things that are in the works right now across different companies. So, like, we, like there's a – if we're talking about for physical therapists, there's a thing called Trust Me Ed. It's by uh, Trust, Trust Me Physio. And uh, it's supposed to be like a Netflix version for physical therapy. And uh, I haven't actually seen their therapeutic exercise classes, like anything like that. But I've seen a couple of their other ones that are from um, some pretty top-notch uh, PTs. So I would imagine that if there is anything on there, it'd be good. Then you've also got sites like Clinical Athlete, where you've got guys like Quinn Hennick who are on there. I'm on there for some presentations. Tons of great guys that really break down some awesome content and teach movements as well. If you join the forum... It's, it's, uh, I would argue that the clinical athlete forum was more than my BPT education for the way I practice currently. Um, there's some other stuff like juggernaut training systems has some excellent resources. So if you check out their, they've got an ebook on, uh, the principles of strength training, I think is what it's called scientific principles of strength training. And that goes through like exercise prescription, a bunch of other stuff. But honestly, yeah, like just go and follow strength coaches. It's like one of the easiest things you can do. Yeah, I think uh, some of my, my best resources as well. Um, anything from Stu McGill. So you, you look, he has you know his four books: Low Back Disorders, um, Ultimate Back Fitness and Performance, uh, The Gift of Injury, and The Back Mechanic. If you if you delve into a few of those books, it's not just treating low backs. He actually goes into a lot of um, a lot of uh, depth about biomechanics and about how to squat and how to deadlift, um, and you get a lot of good information out of there too. Um. That's sweet. And this kind of kind of goes into it just because there's like a lot of trainers that will listen to this too. That, And we want to talk about essentially personal trainers wandering into corrective exercise because they're learning some of this stuff because it is readily available and dealing with clients with pain and injury. And then we see a lot of claims and behaviors that wander beyond their scope of practice. And this is where I want you guys to touch on is what can and should fitness professionals like us and strength coaches know and do? And what are some of the warning signs for everyone when someone is essentially going into that dangerous territory of Going on a scope, essentially. <laughs> that, that was yeah. a sigh yeah. on both of them. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a, I don't know. If, they're, if a patient is coming to you or a client's coming to you and they just got an acute injury, they rolled their ankle, they hurt their shoulder, you shouldn't be trying to treat that injury. right? If, you're, if, if they come to you, I think, Andrew, you had a, a, a client of yours with a was it a wrist injury or something like that? Oh God! I mean, like, how many people have I sent to you who done all yeah. kinds of fucked up shit? Yeah, uh, you, and... You're training. You're training him still with the injury, right? He has another arm and he has two legs. So I mean, I think trainers should be able to do that. They should be able to train oh, yeah. around. Pain, oh, that, so that's know? that's my uh, young, my young basketball player. So he actually at the yeah. same time. So two of my young athletes and they're playing sports. My basketball player has a, a sprained wrist essentially. So yeah, so he's got a bit of a cast on. We're doing a whole bunch of shit. The other young fella, Blake, who I sent his dad to you, and uh, Dwayne was loving it. But Blake, he's like a WHL goalie and gets a broken finger because he gets a, yeah. a slap shot off the tip of his finger behind his blocker. And yeah, we're still doing everything we can outside of that. I'm just trying quite literally not to do anything to hurt his finger. Exactly, right? So I mean, I mean that's okay. But as soon as you start trying to give him exercises to rehab that finger, you're step, you're overstepping your boundaries, right? That's that's our that's our area. Um, the other thing is too, like if you a person comes with you or to you to, with low back pain, um, you you're treating them for a little bit. You you know 
you, you don't really think too much into their pain. You're trying to train around it. That can be an issue too. That low back pain could be masquerading as something more more serious. You could have, you know, an individual, maybe they have, you know, cancer that's um, kind of masquerading as low back pain. If you miss those red flags and you, you're treating that or you're uh, training that person for, you know, six to eight weeks, that's six to eight weeks of treatment they could be having medically, right? So I think that's a big issue too. Um, the big things you guys should be doing for, for pain, I mean, if they, have a, if they have pain in their kneecap with a squat, you should be able to adjust their squat so they don't have pain in their kneecap. It really it pisses me off when I get clients or patients that come over to me and they've had low back pain for the past two years and working with the trainer. They get low back pain with squatting and deadlifting. And I see that all they're doing is they're scissoring their rib cage and their pelvis. And I tell them how to adjust their, their pelvis and how to brace properly with a squat and a deadlift. And they don't have pain. Yeah. Like a trainer should be able to do that. You know, that shouldn't be my job. My, my job should be to help with the more serious issues. Whenever it comes to, if I've got, you know, real pain or any sort of injury that my clientele are dealing with, and this is the advice I'd give to any trainer, is when it wanders in those two territories, have a great professional to refer that stuff to. Because I'm great at working around injuries, rehabilitating a lot of stuff, working with people to prevent, both make them stronger to prevent problems, but also to work around problems. I've had tons of experience with it. But... I've got someone sitting on the other end of the screen who I send my people to, to take care of the stuff that honestly even wanders into the gray area for me, because I want the best person possible to take care of these issues. And I've got someone as a resource who is a lot better at this stuff than I am. So therefore I don't fuck around with the stuff that's gray to me. And maybe Sam would be good at this. Cause I think uh, there's gonna be a lot of people like, cause that, that's good advice in terms of like, yeah, if there's pain and get him to squat. Well, what if you, how, as a trainer, do you know, like when you like, <laughs> it needs to go out of scope. Cause some people think that they know how to teach a squat and they, they can't and they get pain, but they're like, I'm going to keep doing this. And then there's people who actually know how to coach a squat and then they can't. So kind of where is that line of, where you kind of keep people in pain to kind of get them to teach them the movement to see if you can get out of it, if that makes sense. Because if they have a bum shoulder, maybe it's not, maybe it's just the movement thing that you can fix. How do they know when to push a little and then when to kind of refer out? You know, I always tell people that whether you're a personal trainer, a strength coach, or a physical therapist, you get paid not because you can show someone an exercise, you get paid because you can critically reason. I don't think that the ability to just like give someone exercise, anything special. There's tons of apps out there that can make a program up for you. There are tons of videos out there that can show someone how to do a movement. But if you can't help the person figure out a solution, then you're not going to be sufficient at whatever your specific job is. If the person is coming to see you as a personal trainer for fat loss or for getting stronger, building muscle, like that's your job. So if you are going beyond that, then you're going outside of your scope. If you're trying to manage the person's pain, that's when you're becoming a rehab specialist. And so if you're trying to find a solution around pain, like for instance, the person's trying to bench press, they have some superior shoulder pain every time they bench press, and you're just trying to change the movement or change it to a different exercise, something, and they just consistently have pain, okay, yeah, refer them out. But if you can find a easy solution, so for instance, you know, they have pain every time they barbell bench press, but you go to dumbbell, boom, solution. Okay, cool, just keep doing that. Unless that person's specific goal is to barbell bench press, then it's time to send them out again. But it's really not, a, again, it's not a simple thing. And it's where you have to start to critically reason. And that's, I think, something that also dictates who's a good clinician, who's a good personal trainer, who's a good strength coach. Because, like, you don't learn that from a weekend course. No. That's something where it takes dedication and commitment to your field. 
Well, and that's where, like, I was, I was saying is that I think that aspect of critically reasoning is huge because I think a lot of people's egos get in the way. And then oh, that yeah. stops them from actually critically reasoning. And they don't want to actually look at themselves and be like, I can fix that. And, like, really, you don't have the skill set to fix that. And I think that that's where I was kind of looking for an answer is, like, how do people understand where their skill set lies and how good they are at something? Here's a way that I sort of navigate that. And again, it goes to what I said earlier. If you look at having professionals as resources who are skilled, let's say if you, I'm not a big lover of chiropractics, I'll be honest, but I know a couple of really good ones. Uh, maybe we don't go down that hole. Uh, obviously, if you have massage therapists, if you have, I don't, obviously the scope of this conversation is physical therapists. If you have great people to refer to, I think of them as an extension of what I have to offer. It's my set of resources that I could use. So my clientele, one of the cool things, and Darren, you and I have had lots of conversation about this, but I get thank you messages, emphatic thank you messages all of the time for sending people to you. They rave about how the experience was. So that's obviously a real big positive. But they're thanking me because I'm the one who sent them there. So you get the credit for that, but they're still really appreciative. And that actually helps me with my work as opposed to me being quote, selfish and egocentric and saying, well, I can figure this shit out myself when I'm probably far more well, likely. That, to that's, that was a conversation that I was trying to say is like that. That's like, that's, that's rational. That's reasoning. That's logical thinking. But I think that a lot of people get tied into the fact that they know some stuff, which makes them dangerous. You know what I mean? Like that knowing things and knowing more and learning more can make you dangerous. It can make you better at your job and potentially less dangerous. But on the other end, Going to a weekend course, let's say, is not like if you go to FRC, let's just say, or whatever, DNS, you can go to DNS for weightlifting. It, it takes like six months to a year of coaching that shit hours and hours to even be good at it. So going there and thinking you've got something just by reading something is dangerous. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because you can I learn. Think, the, I think a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the time people are, they're afraid of losing business too, right? Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, it's, it's still a business at the end of the day. You're still, you know, trying to make yourself um, financially stable. Um, so they think if they refer someone out, you know, if Andrew refers someone to me, you know, you shouldn't be afraid that I'm just going to keep that person and never send them back to you. Um, same thing goes with, and I mean, I have a different viewpoint of, of chiropractic. We actually have two great chiropractors at our, at our clinic, uh, Melissa Young and Leah Sardizan. Um, and just like any profession, the, the chiropractors that are poor are the ones that take you in the office and they crack your back for two minutes, <laughs> send you out and you pay the lady up front. Right. The the good chiropractors bucks. are the ones that actually assess you. They educate you. They take you out into the gym, which our chiropractors actually do after a treatment and teach you active rehabilitation. Um, but again, for myself, I'm not going to be able to help everyone. Right. I have my skill set. And if there's an individual that I find that I'm just not progressing the way that I would like, I'll send I'll send that person to, to Leah or I'll send that person over to Melissa for Cairo and see if they have a different viewpoint that can maybe help with the situation. And we work as a team that way. I mean, they're, they're better at getting people moving quickly more so than I would be. Whereas I think I would be better at the active rehabilitation. Um, another situation, uh, we have a great athletic therapist at our clinic named James green. He, uh, he runs our run fit program. Um, I can do a handle the basic running injuries. I know how to progress them and how to rehabilitate them. If it's something more serious, they need to look at their, their technique or their, their, I'm just not getting where I want them to get. I'll send them over to James, have them work with them. And the patient or the client is going to be way happier because they're out of pain, right? They're way happier that I refer them out as opposed to you spending six weeks with them and they're not getting anywhere. I was actually going to say two things real quick. We've got a great athletic therapist at Evolve South. Her name is Ashley Kutcher and she's super. Uh, North Star, I believe is the name of her business. 
Uh, but actually, going back to chiropractors, the chiropractors that I get pissed off about are the fuckers who are diagnosing food allergies by putting yeah. like something yeah. in people's hands. <laughs> they got a clicker behind their backs. And I hear this kind of shit. And, and I've got a couple of clients who I guess have an old chiropractor who pulls his garbage. And I'm just like, fuck Christ. Um, <laughs> if scheduling works, we're supposed to talk to uh, the science babe, uh, Yvette uh, D'Entremont. Uh, really soon, so I'm, I'm, I think we'll release that episode after this, if the scheduling works, can't promise that, we think so, and it's one of the things I'm going to talk to her about is like some of this pseudoscientific gobbledygook, because that's what she battles, but uh, back on point, <laughs> forgive Sam, the Sam, you don't do that, right? You don't do the clicker oh, I'll, allergy I'll thing with the needles? Yeah, in? muscle energy techniques, right? Okay. It's muscle energy testing. I gotta feel the cheat. You know what the good thing? The good thing about like being like so I, I played I played football and you guys both were athletes at some point. Is that going through it and like seeing a bunch of different professionals and all the shit I was told? Like it makes me. So this is where like learning all this stuff is good because then you can kind of once you find the good shit, you can realize how stupid some of the shit that was going on is happening. Like I was told to stretch my hamstrings. Like no fucking lie by like my physiotherapist on a football team at a university to stretch my hamstring after a hamstring tear. And I was stretching that fucker for like with a rope for like 10 minutes on end because they told me to spend half an hour stretching your hamstring. Never got better. But like that's, that's the world we live in. And that's, it hasn't even really changed that much. And now they just, all those people have just more of a platform because the internet, like that stuff still goes around. Hopefully that's where, you know, things like this, like this podcast, if it's able to reach a larger audience, then we can start to buffer some of that bullshit. Like if we can actually improve the general public's health education mm. and health literacy, then we can start to diminish some of those possibilities. Like in the past, if you were someone living, I don't know, like out in Grand Prairie, yeah, what is your health literacy out there? You don't have as much access to as many good quality clinicians probably. And so like if someone's in the area, you're limited to what you have. Whereas in Edmonton, where it's larger and a lot more people, you could bounce around until you found someone of higher quality if you knew what you were looking for, but at least you had that option. And that's why it's fun to talk about this stuff. Like, as much as we're bullshitting, we're like, oh, fucking, so this much is stupid. Yeah. It's, it's hysterical. I'm just laughing because I have a guy in Grand Prairie who has come into town to see Darren. <laughs> well, but, but, like, that's how, it, that's how it literally was. And, like, we can make fun of all this stuff as much as we want, but it's, it's more so that you can... So you don't have to bounce around 10 people. Because, like, that's probably the, the common story is I went from this person, this person, this person. I didn't find anybody. Or the one is I've been at my PT or my chiropractor for eight years straight. Like, I, I get people that fucking say that. Like, that's a bad thing. Like, that's not good. A, a, the trouble with it, too, is kind of the uh, the quick fix mentality of society as well. Yeah. Um, you know, people want to hear that something is out of place and can just be kind of cracked back into place because that's an easy, quick fix, right? People don't like hearing that their tissues are just increasing sensitivity and that we have to gradually load them to decrease the sensitivity um, and then avoid the things that aggravate them. And it's going to be a process. People don't like hearing that. People don't like hearing that it's probably going to take 8 to 12 weeks to, to heal their injury, right? And they don't have CS for 8 to 12 weeks, but it probably will take that time. People want it now, right? I like that, actually. So this leads really well into this question. I mentioned how I had attended this seminar with Sam and uh, Dean Somerset, um, where you get described injury rehabilitation as finding the right amount of training stimulus to make the injured tissue stronger versus like total inactivity bad versus massive overload and breaking shit also bad. Uh, anyway, so and again, that reminds me of the story about uh, Cam and his fencing. So I was sort of curious if you guys could elaborate on the discussion because Sam, you're the one who said it. I, I think we start with you on this one. 
Yep. Uh, what exactly are we <laughs> elaborating on the, the whole? Definition are you or... listening to that? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll reframe it. I no. feel like I, I, like I no, no. I think this no. is good. I think Andrew's question is very long. You should you should tell him. Okay, so just straight up, uh, can you explain why it's important to work within that mid range versus, in most cases, avoiding total inactivity? And of course, obviously, not letting people go and do wonder at maxes when they've got a like a partially torn hamstring or a, a, an ACL. So, tissue thrives upon an appropriate stimulus for the desired goal. So, if we want something to atrophy, don't load it. It will get it will get smaller. It will decrease. Your body has no use for it. Boom. But if you want to progress it, you need to give it an amount that it can recover from and begin to adapt in the desired goal. So if you want it to grow larger or thicker, you need to give it something that's going to encourage it to hypertrophy. If you give it so much that it cannot recover, well, then it's going to start to, oh, yeah, boom. <laughs> It'll start to atrophy again. If it can't recover, it's going to go downhill. So it's about finding that middle ground. Um, and it's, it's not an easy thing to figure out. It's, uh, it's something where them at least for my outpatient stuff, it's usually like, somewhere between two and four visits on average. And within that, I try to have an open discussion about watching their symptoms and then being able to decide when to increase versus pull back. And usually it's about giving some time between the interventions that you did. So if you worked out and did your rehab stuff on Monday and your symptoms flared up on Tuesday, that's okay, don't freak out. But on Wednesday, if you don't see them start to come back to baseline, then maybe we need to pull back. And starting to watch things like that and trying to educate the person on getting comfort to know that there's going to be up and down times, but we always want to try and find an appropriate load because that's going to help to push you forward. It's just like strength training. If you do nothing, you're not going to get stronger and doing too much. You don't see like endurance athletes aren't jacked for a reason. Like doing high repetitions isn't what leads to progressive overload in um, improving muscle size and sort of the same goal with rehab. I think Alex Viata might have something to say about that. No, <laughs> well, he's, that, that he's the anomaly. I'm a, he, true, a true endurance yeah. athlete. Yeah, like a, like a legit, like, not that Alex is legit, but he's not a fucking good endurance. We, we found out, like, he, he can do it. He just, he's not good at it. He's huge. Compared, yeah, but comparatively. He's just psychologically stronger than most people that do endurance stuff. Yeah. But he, he, he would get murked actual ultra runners like he would get destroyed i think we i actually told him that and he didn't disagree like he's not for anyone listening i'm gonna ask to get alex back his podcast is actually one of our best it was really fun so uh we're gonna bug him to come back and i know he'll do it so darren what about you like what are your thoughts in all this stuff and the best uh one of the best explanations is actually from uh, a well-known chiropractor dr andrea spina um he's created the uh, functional range systems the frc uh functional range release he explains it pretty well i mean every tissue has a capacity for for load right injury occurs when you overload that capacity to a certain extent and then rehabilitation what we have to do is we have to load the tissue just below that capacity line to build the capacity back up to baseline with training you have to overload the capacity so that the um, tissue can adapt to that load and become stronger so I think, you know, our goal as, uh, as physical therapists is to find that kind of middle ground where we can load it enough so that we're causing some change and you're, you're actually feeling the tissue. Like with a tendinopathy, we know, and you do a lot uh, sound with tendinopathies, if you don't load it enough, you're not really feeling the tissue, you're not feeling some sort of discomfort with the tissue, it's probably not going to adapt. 
That being said, though, you overload it, you do too much too soon. You can get a you can get a flare up, you can get a setback, and then that'll that'll um, bring you down as well. So I think it's it's kind of finding that uh, that middle ground, and it's you have to treat it the same way as you as you would treat strength and conditioning, though. Strength and conditioning, you can't expect to train for one week and get better, right? You you can't expect to rehabilitate and to strengthen uh, an injured tissue over one week and get better as well. It's going to be a process and it's going to take time. Um, all agreed with all that. It basically sounded like both of you guys sounded like Spina when he was ranting. So I went to one of his courses. I like taking all this shit. Um, we called him Anthony. I called him angry Spina because he literally just spent like he would spend 20 minutes going <laughs> off. To, if someone would ask a question going on, how stupid physios and Cairo's and everyone's, everyone's stupid. He's so angry. Anyways, if you want to hear any good rants, cause we're being really nice, I would say. Like really, not. um, yeah, and we're we're I guess that comes with experience too, because at the same time, so you guys are physios and you're doing this stuff, and it's it's hard to find that right stimulus, and I would say like at the same time, that's hard on a trainer's part as well. Probably hard, too hard for a trainer to be able to navigate that stuff, right. which again goes back to scope of practice. I mean. Fuck, I mean, enough traders don't actually know how to progressively overload effectively. That's what I was saying, in general for the fitness schools. I've, I've worked with you know trainers in the past where I'm watching them put a 40-pound barbell with padding on a hip thrust for a, a woman for uh, barbell hip thrusts. Meanwhile, I've got women the same size doing a plate aside, a plate and a half aside yeah. and crushing it. And it's like, well, that's not causing any sort of stimulus whatsoever. And then on the other hand, you see trainers putting... Fuck, uh, I've got a client and he's 160 pounds at five foot eight. And he's a strong little dude, to say the fucking least. But he told me a story about how his former trainer had put 400 pounds on a squat with him. And I'm pretty sure his range of motion was was like a quarter depth. And I'm just like, oh my fucking well, God. So we see that stuff on both ends of the spectrum too. And I mean, it, I don't want to really shit all over unqualified personal trainers. They exist. We know that. And I don't actually like language that paints most of the fitness industry as being unqualified because then that just... I think it's just funny to off. say though. I think it's extremely <laughs> funny to say. But <laughs> there's a lot of really... I actually got pissed off at some a couple of people ranting about this on Facebook. Doesn't like talking about it. <laughs> no, I, I, might, I might as well. And they're like... Some guy said like 99% of the personal trainers in the fitness industry are terrible. And I, I'm just like, what? And I say like, how is this kind of language helping anyone how is it encouraging anyone to actually seek out trainers how is it helping to encourage the trainers who are working to get better to actually like well fuck listen to you for starters and this is just speaking into the echo chamber and there's a couple of guys going back and forth and they weren't hearing my thoughts at all and i was very tactful about how i approach it and i was like well this one dude who i've heard his name a couple times this fucker's a douchebag for sure and the other one uh i'm not even gonna get into that fuck it but uh yeah, just rant off in a direction I've lost. Yeah, so my so. main question, <laughs> yeah, go was, was in terms of load, and like this is like a good question because there's 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 trainers that are listening to this, and maybe PTs, I don't know. Um, how do you know when people aren't working hard enough? Because sometimes there's just that aspect of like they don't even know how to push it to get that stimulus. Does that make sense? Like, how do you push people, to, like maybe push past some of these things so that they can get stronger to rehabilitate? Does that make sense? Oh, Sam froze. I froze. No, you're good. Was moving. <laughs> <laughs> but is, is there this um, idea that people aren't like even trying to work hard enough? Like, you know what I mean? Almost being weak. I know we don't want to say that, but they can't find that right stimulus to even overload to start moving towards the direction they want. Yeah. This is probably not going to be an answer that a lot of people love, but yeah. uh, like it takes, it takes practice because 
when I'm working with people, I don't have a simple answer. I know generally like in my mind that most people can handle X amount of volume based off whatever, but then over time that constantly updates. That's my uh, heuristic reasoning from my experience as well as my knowledge of the literature. But like when you don't have, we have no set formula that's going to tell you this person needs to work harder. It's that, do I perceive this person's current effort as being what they can give me? And if the answer is no, then I'm going to push it. Yeah. yeah. And that's where, you know, I talked about the biopsychosocial aspect before, and that's something that I think doesn't really get discussed at all in personal training. Yeah. Whereas like in physical therapy, it's starting to gain more attention. It's something that again, identifies a better physical therapist. But like when I'm working with people, I try to encompass load from all three aspects. Cause like if someone is currently maybe not pushing physically as hard as they can, but I know that they're actually crushed emotionally and mentally from their outside stressors. I'm probably not going to push them to their maximal physical capacity because that's probably where I'm going to push them into an injury. So it's really not that simple, and it is a whole lot more complex, and people hate that answer, but it's just the truth. Well, and that sounds a a lot like coaching. You know what I mean? Like as much as that sounds like how how much, I guess, do you think that there's some value in coaching? Like being a good coach and learning how to be a good coach because all those things is basically just understanding people. That is the most important thing is coaching. So if you, it doesn't matter if you have your CSCS, it doesn't matter if you have your CEP, it doesn't matter what certification you have. If you don't have the experience and you don't have the man hours and you haven't worked with a wide demographic of people, I mean, a, a, an 18 year old individual who's played football their entire life and has a strong lifting background, that's going to be completely different um, coaching them versus you know, someone that's 62, they just want to start getting into the gym. They have no lifting experience. So I think you, you really have to um, take into account the, the individual's actual, you know, age and experience, the actual lifting age and experience, and then the movement age and experience. And then, you know, with your, your previous encounters, um, you, you really have to delve in what type of personality this person has. Are they really... Uh, a person that's going to do more than what you tell them to do or want them to do? Are they going to be a more of a passive individual that is, you know, you tell them to do four sets of eight to 12 and they're going to do two sets because they're more passive that way. So you really, it, it totally depends on the person. It totally depends on, uh, on their experience and, uh, and who they are. Well, that's so crazy. Cause I think that that gets overlooked a lot and not that we don't talk about it. I think that in terms of a clinical setting, you're not talking about, Hey, we're coaches and we do all this, but I think that there is value for even, trainers to understand that like having a background or understanding of that sort of stuff will pay dividends in terms of the stuff you're trying to get out of your clients, whether it's rehab or strength or whatever is like, if you don't know anything about human behavior in general, Oh, Sam just dropped it. We are bringing Sam back. Sam dropped out for a sec, so (laughs) we'll get him back on, but we can keep going. But yeah, do you know what I mean? Like what what were some of the better, like, did you ever have any resources that you find that like helped you with that aspect of things? Does that make sense? In terms of um, understanding the individuals and understanding the uh, the personality types and all that stuff, yeah. Or was that more of like learned in the trenches <laughs> I experience? Think that's that's more that's more clinical experience. Yeah. That's just getting you. That's getting your hands dirty and actually working with people. Um, you can read all the books you want. You can read all the textbooks you want. You can get these recipes for you know how to treat or load people. Uh, but until you actually you know get your hands dirty and you're seeing thousands and thousands of people different personality types, um, different body types, different anatomy, physiology, you have no idea. So, I mean, 
I, I really wouldn't, I wouldn't trust a, you know, a trainer or a therapist that actually hasn't had the, you know, clinical experience or the, the hands-on experience and has, has worked with people. Because when you get in, when you get in front of a person, you know, the, the textbook tells you to, to rehab an injury a certain way. What happens if you do that and it doesn't work, right? You, you, it's, it's about critical thinking. Uh, it's going to be different for every single situation. You know, five things that you do with um, five different people will produce five different results. So We've recently talked <clears throat> uh, with uh, both Sohi Lee and Eric Helms sort of on this point. Uh, you know, more recently, we're seeing a trend towards trainers working more aggressively on their Instagram profiles and a lot of their social media stuff. And while I don't want to shit all over that, because that's actually really important. I think it's, as Nick Tuminello was talking about with gatekeeper syndrome, you have a generation that's older looking at the younger generation. It, it's a different way that the industry's gone. But in some cases, we're seeing trainers prioritize their marketing and their media and misrepresenting their skills and their experience. And, I, and I've long said this, and I'm a big believer in this, you know, getting in hours in front of clients is the most important thing. And what you said about the clinical experience, I think I'm probably near 14,000 client training hours in the last eight years, right? And that's a very high volume for our industry. And a lot of good has come from that. I don't think, I think that's the single greatest resource as to where I am right now in terms of learning. I've studied, I've followed a lot of really brilliant people, but I just think getting the practice is really critical. Well, and that's where I was, I was saying is like, you can be, you can, you can know shit, but like if you don't know anything about coaching, which is essentially hours in your job, but there is a lot of crossover. Like I would say, Sam, like you had a lot of experience even as an athlete before that. Um, how much did that aspect in terms of just knowing coaching help now that you're in the industry you're in? You know what I mean? Like you put in hours before you even started being a physio. Yeah, it was huge. Like especially being able to observe people that say were crossover to a degree like you know, before I went to PT school, I was fortunate to shadow under guys like Dean Somerset for a long time and other PT or other physical therapists that I just went and observed. But then, you know, during school, I went and watched guys like Tony Genicor, Eric Cressy, Brett Contreras, all of these guys trying to just as like absolutely 100% getting your hands on and doing the work yourself with people is going to be huge. Plus actual time training yourself is going to be huge. But then observing how other people do stuff because watching people who are experts in the field is going to make you challenge the things that you do currently and step the hell up. Like had I not watched like Dean in the past and I had just gone down my own route, like I guarantee I would have still put in a ton of hours, still done a bunch of stuff, but I was accelerated so fast by watching him do stuff and being able to jump on that. Like if you don't have people available in your area then get online and start watching more products like earlier in the cast, Darren dropped a whole bunch of different ones that you can get online, download them, watch them, put that into effect as you work with people. That's one of the things like, yeah, you know, Andrew, like you put in 14,000 hours over the last eight years, but how many of those hours were also put into effect practicing things you had read, learned? Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. that accumulation of all of it together that actually makes you great. Well, you mentioned Dean again, and Dean Somerset and I worked for the same company for six years. He was there a lot longer than me. And then I, moved off to a different situation than he followed uh, about a year later to the same umbrella company. We have our own businesses there at Evolve Strength. But I've had so much of Dean's free continuing education, and I've also paid to see him. I've traveled to actually see him speak at other events, and just following his uh, example on social media, learning from him, and then interacting personally with him, 
you know, he's been a major influence, one of the most important influences on both my understanding of movement and how to deal with injuries and, and even just strength training, but also actually sort of attitudes and how you conduct yourself with people and within the industry. And I think that's actually really important as well. It keeps but, me out of trouble of not saying but, some of the more bombastic and polarizing shit that might tick in my brain. But essentially, that's what you guys are all saying. Because like, I think some people will listen to this and be like, you know, like they're saying you need to get experience and do all this shit. Like, how do you get that? But like, you basically just gave the answer. Like, you can go and read stuff, but you can go shadow people. You can, you can go and practice all this stuff. But like, the the real answer is like that's fucking hard. So you have to do all the hard work. Yeah. So like, yeah, it sucks that you have to go shadow for free or pay and, for these courses and do all that and, stuff. But like, that's the road to actually being good at shit. Well, because going it's to so sp- funny because like I because I have this like larger. Oh, oh shit! He's freezing up again. Sorry, guys. We'll get him to repeat that. Oh, okay. Exactly. Because you have this larger scope of a network, I'm assuming. But repeat that because yeah. we lost you. Yeah, so because I have this larger following on Instagram and social media in general, like I get a ton of common questions from younger professionals that are trying to make their way into the field. And honestly, like most want to have that quick solution. But, you know, when I first started, I was 17, took my personal training course from Dean, and then I went and worked for free for my first six months. And I shadowed Dean every weekend for six hours. And I did that every week for six months continuously. And then after that point, I was like, I think I'm ready to charge someone. And then I went and started charging people and I kept shadowing Dean for the next year. And then I kept going and finding other things because I just didn't think I was good enough to charge more than whatever. And every year I got better and I started to charge more. And every year I felt more confident and deserving to charge X amount because I knew that I could deliver a good enough product. And people don't love that answer. But at the end of the day, like, are you really worth what you charge? Because like, if all you do is, you know, give someone a program and then give like stand there like that. That's not that good. You can get that from bodybuilding.com. Yeah. That's how we did get it. That's that's how we probably all got our programs in the beginning. Um, okay. This is, this is being, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, Darren, you first. It's just uh, making yourself kind of a lifelong learner too. As soon as you, even with your, your experience with Somerset and everything, as soon as you, you obviously don't think you know it all and you still think you, you, you have tons to learn, right? As soon as you think you know it all you're and fucked. as soon as you think that uh, you've got it all figured out, I think you're missing the boat. So the, the, literally the more that I learn over you know the past five years that I've been practicing, the more that I learn, the more questions I have. And that makes me go seek you know more resources, um, whether that be through podcasts, through books, through um, any different you know uh, courses or uh, other individuals that I'll, that'll shadow. Um, if you continually seek out the best people in the field and try and chameleon yourself like them and learn the best best aspects of what they do, then you'll make yourself a better practitioner. But this, the moment you stop learning, you stop uh, training and uh, educating yourself, then you're, you're completely missing the boat. Um, and, and that's all good shit. And I, I do want to touch on this before we kind of finish off and get to the books. Um, so Sam, you, you recently contributed to an article about pain science, and this kind of has been blowing up on the internet like all the shit like <laughs> there was a bunch of drama with pain science but like let's let's just come from your viewpoint would you share some of your thoughts on what commonly is misunderstood about pain why it occurs how we can alleviate pain and, and darren share your thoughts as well when sam's done and maybe some background to what the fuck happened <laughs> that, that might... um well you asked like some huge questions but a uh, quick backdrop <laughs> was that uh, i guess in the past few years pain 
new research coming out every day that's starting to challenge previously held beliefs and uh, at the end of the day some people don't want to update some people are heavily challenged by these stances and also don't understand them and because of that some people have started to speak out against people that want to talk about this stuff they're often saying that there's quote-unquote pain science people whereas like in reality we all have pain this is just a discussion about the science on the topic and trying to understand it and realize that everything we do is a part of pain science every time i speak to a patient i am either empowering them or i'm probably challenging them in some way the language i utilize can last with them for a very long time and so if i'm using words that can uh, make their pain worse that's a danger whereas if I can use words that will empower them give them confidence that's better and just things like that I don't sit down and try to give someone a 30-minute therapeutic neuroscience education like that doesn't happen with me I just try to interact with people in an intelligent manner that's backed by the information I've read about pain and its influences and then also treat them in a biopsychosocial manner like I discussed before and you know, the article is pretty long because it's like a roundtable discussion on these points and something that people can check out. It's on uh, physionetwork.com. And uh, basically, like myself and two other guys that are both physical therapists and strength coaches try to tackle some of the major questions people had. And it's pretty lengthy, but it's definitely worth a good read. And Aaron, your yeah. thoughts on uh, on the questions about pain? Yeah, I mean, there's there's basically two two major schools of thought right now there's the pure biomechanist and there's the the pain science group and i think it's they're they're going too far to one end of the pendulum you need to have good knowledge in both and i mean you get you get the one group that says that you know movement doesn't matter biomechanics doesn't matter um posture doesn't matter and i mean that's all a crock of shit but if you're saying you know at the same time that biomechanics is everything and posture is everything and if you you squat this way then you're you're gonna have injury blah blah blah. i think you go down too much down that rabbit hole as well so i mean one of the one of the best um courses and uh practitioners that i learned from was through uh, greg layman who's uh he's a chiropractor he's a he's a physiotherapist he did his uh spy biomechanics um masters under sue mcgill um this guy he has a, a course called reconciling biomechanics with pain science that i took and he does an excellent job of explaining how pain uh, is basically, it's an alarm that basically warns you of either injured tissue or a possible threat. And it doesn't always have to equal damage. And she explains that, you know, biomechanics aren't always important. You don't have to hip hinge like a deadlift to bend over and pick up a sock, right? But under heavy load or under certain situations like that, that's when biomechanics becomes important. When you have an injury as well, um, you know, there's no perfect way to squat, but maybe making your squat a little more hip dominant when you have some anterior knee pain, maybe that'll help to offload some of the sensitivity of the tissue. So I think it, it's, we have to find that kind of middle ground, um, understanding that both biomechanics and pain science do matter, but we have to find the middle ground to join them together. Nice. Well, and I think that that understanding of like that spectrum is kind of the deal. And I, it feels like some of the people in the biomechanics end that have been releasing information almost know that they're going to rile up all the pain science people and the pain science people are just fucking jumping in and like just making the other end big. So it's just, I don't know. It seems like a game at this point and it's not about the, maybe it is about the issue, but it doesn't really move it well, forward if, other than if, 
there, there's a good few articles online too. I think uh, was it Joel Seed? Wow, that, that, well <laughs> that's Pretty where well we're basically he wrote that thing, and then everyone else jumped in. I honestly, yeah, he just Todd wanted Hargrove, to though, or, or is it Hargrove that put put out a, a great article yeah. kind of talking about those points. He didn't completely bash Seedman. He no. was just explaining the pain science view and 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 saying, you know, pain pain science or um, pain therapists don't really say that it's all in your head. They're they're misunderstood. They're just trying to give you a better explanation. Of, of why you have pain and it's not just always something's damaged or something's wrong with you and he he goes through a pretty good rebuttal on uh on seedman's work and uh, i think both of them do do great work but uh, you should get both of those articles or either actually really good and that's what i mean i think both of them are contributing and i think joel just got everyone riled up and honestly i think he did it on purpose like it, yeah. it, it like it blew his book up like <laughs> exactly like that that's the part that honestly really pissed me off and one of the reasons i contributed to it it was like if Joel believes that, that's his choice and his prerogative. But then he's basically using it to sell and make money. Like that's pretty shitty, right? And that—that's kind of where, like, that's why I wanted to get your viewpoints on it, which ends up being the logical viewpoint when you look at everything. Is just like you start seeing that there's a spectrum, and they were just fighting. And I think that that's with any issue in the fitness industry, whether we talk about back pain or knee pain or strength and conditioning, which one's the best powerlifting stance. Like it's all the same shit as there's two ends and they both yell. And then the answer is probably somewhere on the spectrum, depending on context. You know what I mean? So, I, uh, I don't want to, I want to be very careful with my words on Joel. I've never met him. I don't know much about him, but <clears throat> I do follow him. And uh, he, he does strike me as the sort of, he'll probably, we'll probably get him on the podcast eventually. Cause he'd be interested to talk to, but he strikes me as a sort who probably, pokes at people just to get responses because he posts these videos of all of these ridiculous fucking exercises. And I think anyone who's wise enough realizes most of this shit's complete nonsense. And I think he's just pushing the envelope on all the weird ways you can do interesting shit. And I think if you look at it from that point of view, you can learn a lot from it. But he's also probably very easy to criticize as doing a lot of really pointless garbage. So, but again, I don't want to shit on the guy because I don't know him. And and, I, and I've heard a lot of really good things, but I'm not sure he's a really intelligent and very... very He's probably contributing a lot of really good stuff to the industry, so and not everybody's going to agree on everything. So I'll try to get. You know, it'd be great too is to get both of those guys on the podcast. Get get Howard Roman, get Steven on the podcast. <laughs> I think honestly, both, it would really. Be and like I've I've had uh, so I, I I had the opportunity to take both um, you know Stu McGill's assessment course uh, for low back this year, and I I took uh, Greg Layman's reconciling biomechanics and pain science, and they both have completely different approaches, and I mean. Stu, although he's actually, Stu is actually amazing at uh, pain science. He just does it in a different way, and he doesn't describe it as all in your head type thing. But uh, he, he's not happy about the, the pain science world. McGill <laughs> is not happy at all. Um, it'd be nice to actually see them, though, because they, they manage patients the exact same way. Yeah. McGill will tell them a specific diagnosis, and he'll show them all the ways throughout the day and throughout their daily living of how to modify their pain and to not get a pain trigger. So he, he's working the exact same way that layman would work, and they're they're doing the exact same thing, but they're saying it in different ways. It'd be nice to even get those two on a podcast <laughs> together and actually have them discuss it as Set well. Set it up, man. <laughs> well, some of this stuff might be a little outside of the sort of realm we tend to wander into, and it gets very technical, whereas we try to keep this stuff, uh, I, I think, very philosophical and accessible to both enthusiasts and trainers, but it does sound fascinating. So I'm going to switch off to ask you guys about books to recommend and you've already recommended a lot of like technical resources. So I was wondering if you guys each had, and it could be fiction or nonfiction, but anything that you've read that has been influential to you. I read uh, Conscious Coaching by uh, Brett Bartholomew. It was actually a very, very good book. Nice. Um, 
teaching you how to basically get uh, get buy-in from your clients and from your patients and to figure out different personality types um, and how to 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 get them to, to buy into to what you're trying to to just not sell to them but to to get them to do to improve themselves it's a great book i've got a signed copy met him and talked to him he's a really awesome dude uh, i think any trainer should probably read that book it's really accessible. super short too i saw him on a plane <laughs> it's like five six <laughs> um sam uh, i'll give you a couple oh, depending yeah. upon like who the audience is that's listening right now um a book that I actually just finished. I'm actually a uh, book club member, so <laughs> I uh, just finished one. It's called Other Minds, and it's uh, got an octopus on the cover. If you uh, check it out, it's pretty interesting. It goes into like the consciousness uh, of humans and other animals, and really tries to challenge a lot of beliefs that we have about consciousness. Mm-hmm. So if you're a big nerd, uh, um, then a different one. So for any clinicians or coaches or therapists that are out there. There's a book called What Patients Say, What Doctors Hear. It's by uh, Daniel Danielle Offery, and uh, it's it's pretty badass. She goes into the details on like, you know, um, earlier Darren brought up a point about like the length of time that physicians have with patients, and then she talks about that and why that actually influences a lot of the way that, that they act and a lot of the beliefs that physicians have. But then she actually discusses how it's actually wrong and what a lot of physicians probably need to change. So super awesome book. And then one for like the general fitness people that are like listening and probably don't want to listen to that stuff. Um, a good one is called "Unfuck Yourself, Get Out of Your Head." So it's a uh, <laughs> that one is like it goes into a lot more motivational coaching and discussion on your own personal perspective. So that one's fantastic, and I'd recommend all three to anybody. Have you read the subtle art of not giving a fuck? You should ask I mean, Andrew. Like Andrew fucking yeah. hate, Andrew doesn't like that book. <laughs> Anyone who's been listening for a while knows my feelings on subtle art. I think it's trash. He I brings it up I, every week, and you no, brought out this. Yes, you do. Someone always says it. I think it's the twilight of the uh, of the self help book. It's it's accessible, but I've sort of taken this stance: if it gets people to read that kind of literature as an entry level step into things, then it's actually really really yeah. good. I yeah, think yeah. it's fucking pretentious garbage, to be quite honest. Hundred uh, percent. That's why it's funny, though. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> Um, and it's funny because we're going to release, we recorded, we should be releasing, I think, it should be released by the time everybody gets this, our last episode with James Fell. And of course, he wrote a book and he titled it, uh, I think it's the Oh Shit, Shit Moment. Moment. Yeah. So he actually went. And basically, Andrew goes on a tear about it. He hates any books with swears on it. But I love this book. It's, I've, I've read a part of it. Uh, he sent me an advanced copy. It's actually really fucking fantastic. And it's really smart. He had to be nice. because it, no, it it, But it had shit in it. So you had to change your viewpoint a little bit. Well, I mean, I, I could be a little bit of a hard ass. I, I've said before, I'm sort of a disagreeable personality. I think Darren is very familiar with that aspect of me. And I have to soften my thoughts and stances on certain things. Shit is like on the spectrum. It's kind of like in, like just off the middle. Fuck is like over here. And then, yeah. So you were, you were able to warm up to fuck. Maybe you'll be warming up to fuck in a bit. Maybe. Maybe. The way I look at it is this. If they're swearing in a book title, it it automatically sort of says to me, all right, well, this is is pulp, self-help stuff, and I'm probably not going to be interested. But then if people turn around and say, actually, okay, this is actually really good stuff, or like, I I know James, and James is a a polarizing figure in our industry, too. Lord knows there's some people who aren't big fans of of James, but I get a great kick out of him, and he's written a really good book. Um, Definitely check out his book. I think James is awesome. Yeah. 
And it, it's, it sounds like it's going to be legit, too. Like, he went, he worked <coughs> on it for a while. James is also someone who knows how to push buttons with social media stuff to sell. And that's something that he'll, he'll admit himself. And uh, it's, it's just a fun aspect of him. He loves ranting about various things on social media. Um, okay, this leads us into, I guess, Sam, we've already had you on, but can you kind of remind everyone where they can find you online and some of the places where you have written pieces and resources? And then we'll get the Darren after. Oh, did he freeze? Damn it. <laughs> Sam froze. Darren, if people want to contact you and work with you, where's the best place to find you in Edmonton, where we live? Where we do the podcast? Yeah, I don't have a massive uh, Instagram following like Sam does as uh, the strength therapist with 175,000 followers. Yeah. Yep. Um, but you can find me at uh, in South Edmonton. Uh, our clinic's located at 1979 111th Street, um, right on the second floor of the Kinsman uh, Hockey Rink. Um, we're actually joined with uh, a a strength and conditioning facility known as Spark Sport Conditioning, owned by a very well-known athletic therapist who I respect a ton, Kim Layton. Um, so what we have is uh, kind of a, a mixed uh, box gym with, you know, 50-yard track with turf, uh, 35 squat racks, um, equipment till the cows come home, and an open clinic concept up there. Uh, so you can find me there. Uh, if you need to get a hold of me, currently uh, my email is darren at thebridge.fit. Uh, and I'm actually looking into to getting more into social media as well, and uh, we'll be getting into the Instagram and all that stuff uh, eventually, maybe with uh, some advice from from the strength therapist. <laughs> well, I was gonna add some stuff to this because yeah, like Darren, I actually always felt that like given hopefully anyone listens to you is like fuck this guy's really smart and knows what he's talking about. So yeah, you had more to contribute to this this world, and if our fitness professionals who listen started following you, you know, as you start to do more, that they'd enjoy it. I also wanted to shout out our friend uh, Richard Klein as well because Richard works with you. And Richard yeah. had worked as a personal trainer with me previously. And he's a really smart, really passionate guy. So I'm comfortable with Richard working with anyone that uh, I send to you. I want to throw out a yeah, couple so, of... So our, uh, our clinic name is is The Bridge South Edmonton. Um, very, very good therapist, like I said. So Richard Klein, my, my managing partner as well, Scott Gilroy. Uh, if you're looking for another really good therapist, he's, he's amazing. Um, really good at explaining um, what your injury is and getting you back to health. He specializes in... Um, uh, team training, performance training, as well as uh, knee rehab as well. Um, so really any of our team uh, are good to go to, but uh, if you're looking for some uh, some extra help, then uh, we're all here for you. I'm going to throw out a couple other names too because we've got some really good people at Evolve or within the Evolve umbrella as well. Uh, a guy you went to school with, Jason Dick, he's really good. Yep. We've got a, uh, a woman named Keely Smith. Keely deals with a lot of um, – not just, but she's really great with uh, women, post-pregnancy stuff. If there's any pelvic floor or any of those kind of issues, she's amazing with this stuff. And I've also had some really good experiences. And I know some of the guys at Pivotal, which is located in the Evolve downtown where Deed Somerset is. So that's a really good clinic too. So there's a bunch of resources around town. But as I've made it very clear, you and Richard, as an extension of you, are my go-tos. And, and you guys handle the vast majority of my clientele and friends who need it. Now, and, Sam. And Sam, if Sam was in town, we'd be... <laughs> Yeah. He's sending people to... Is he freezing again? He's fucking freezing again. <laughs> Poor Sam. God damn it. There he is. He's back. Hey, Sam. We, okay. We're not referring anyone to you because you don't live here. But can you share... Yeah. We had you on before, but like, where's the best place to find all your resources and kind of read what you write and then your Instagram and all that crap? Yeah, honestly, like across pretty much every social media platform, you can just find me at The Strength Therapist or you can check out my training company, Citizen Athletics. But... Uh, I actually do a ton of online stuff. I do a lot of online rehab with people. 
pretty common actually. I've got like a bunch of ther- a uh, bunch of personal trainers and strength coaches in Edmonton that actually refer people to me. Nice. Um, it's a bit unique in the way that I'll set it up, but just my my general treatment style. Seeing people in person isn't as necessary. I can do a lot online. It's not like a perfect thing. I'd rather do it in person, but it's a good uh, good substitute. Knowing that Darren's in Edmonton, I can always refer people there. But uh, in the past, I didn't know of any. Uh, therapist that I was super confident in the city so I was pretty open to taking on clients online I suppose did Spencer Nadolsky get you to go down this road because Spencer's like the doctor on the internet and you guys are good friends so is this where this came from I've actually uh, only interacted with Spencer one time oh so I've overstated it okay Um, you have mutual friends I'll probably meet him because I think he lives in San Diego now yeah he's down uh, in San Diego with Sohi and Brett and everybody yeah I'm going to visit Brett in February so I'll probably meet him then that's sweet um Okay, I think that's it. Guys, everybody, thank you for listening. If you're someone who is sort of finding us for the first time because you found uh, one of the goofy graphics that we make uh, on either Sam or Darren's feed, um, you know what? Check out some of the other stuff we've done. Sam did a previous episode with us. We've mentioned Dean Somerset a few times. He's been on the podcast, I think, three times. Brett uh, Contreras, so he We've got a bunch of episodes that will tie in with some of the things that the people that are, are, are associated with Sam. And then if you're one of uh, people a part of Darren's world, well, hopefully you'll find some of those other episodes really interesting and you might stick around. We've got a lot more great ones planned coming up. And both of you guys, thanks so much. We really appreciate you guys uh, coming on. And he, I think I know the title. The title is going to be I'm going to PT, do PT to you. Uh, I was thinking about gotta feel the cheese. <laughs> I like that. I'm it was a good PT to you. I'm going to do PT to you. <laughs> yeah. I, I picked up another one. That's a word jumble. <laughs> We're, we're going to figure something out and we'll come up with a good graphic for you guys. Stay on. We'll, uh, we'll chat. And uh, thanks to everybody. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Shut up and sit down. Shut up and sit down.